Welcome to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Talk radio to inspire, inform, and stimulate. Bringing you enlightened discussions with authors, creatives, innovative business and health professionals, and ordinary people living extraordinary lives. Sharing their expertise and life stories. Making a difference, one word at a time. Now here's your host, Vicki St. Clair. And welcome everybody, welcome, welcome. Well, I want to start today's show by acknowledging both of my guests as two powerful women attorneys, Anne Grant and Madeline Bernstein. They're doing very different work, have a very different focus and clientele, but both have gone and are still going to great lengths to empower, educate and raise awareness through their work. And that's what we're all about here. According to my first guest today, Anne Grant, there are almost 17,000 divorces a week in America. And whether you want the divorce or not, navigating the process can be a nightmare. She's written a really smart book to help women empower and protect themselves through that process. And I'll tell you more on that in just a moment. Coming up later, as we know, business is driven by supply and demand. And if there's no demand, there's no supply. We're going to take an inside look at what's really going on in a booming underworld industry that's driven largely uh, by vanity. It's driven by our culture's superficial obsession with wanting cute and wanting different. It's a cruel business. It's about dangerous genetic engineering. And my hope in raising, raising awareness of this is that we can dry up demand and ultimately supply. Joining me to discuss her expose, President of the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, Madeline Bernstein, attorney and author of Designer Dogs. More on that later. First, I'm very pleased to welcome Anne Grant uh, to the show. She started her career as a corporate litigator specializing in unfair business practices and consumer fraud. After her divorce, she created her own firm focusing on family law with a holistic approach to this major life transition. Her new book is called The Divorce Hacker's Guide to Untying the Knot. What every woman needs to know about finances, child custody, lawyers, and planning ahead. Welcome, Anne Grant. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. I should say Anne Grant, a.k.a. the divorce hacker, right? That's right. <laughs> I, I, I love that, uh, the divorce hacker. It almost has a double entendre to me. So how did you come up with that? Well, I, I sat in Barnes & Noble for about a month uh, every day on my lunch hour, and looked at the section where the books were um, on divorce, and I tried to envision my book there. And at the same time, I was developing an app to implement the tools in the book. So I had to come up with a name that hadn't already been used. Um, and it took quite a few tries, but finally came up with Divorce Hacker, and it seems to be kind of the perfect fit, because I provide a lot of inside tips so that women in particular can hack through the system, which I myself found, even as a lawyer, was uh, tremendously difficult to navigate. Yes, I think this is one of the best books I've seen on this topic, and so uh, kudos to you on that. Um, you, you never really wanted to be a divorce attorney. You didn't have aspirations to become a divorce attorney, um, but I think your background in litigation and unfair business practices, consumer fraud, I think that's kind of probably helping you, right? It certainly has. You know, life has a funny way of bringing us to our purpose, and uh, my story is, is no exception to that. I um, 
I was a corporate litigator married to another corporate litigator in L.A. with three lovely children, and everything seemed to be going just fine until all of a sudden it wasn't. And I found myself in a situation where um, I was really hit with the, the perfect storm of loss. Uh, not only was my marriage unraveling, it was the recession, and my corporate law firm uh, dissolved. They were sort of the Lehman, Mar- uh, Lehman Brothers of the uh, legal world. Right. And I've been a partner there. And then at the same time as I was going through this and, and trying to get my bearings, my father, who I was very, very close to and was really helping me out with my three kids, little kids, he passed away unexpectedly. And so that culmination of events really brought me to my knees. I mean, my coping mechanisms that had served me pretty well up until that point just were inadequate to deal with the loss of everything that was important to me. Well, you had just about every every major stressor, you had them all at once, it sounds like. I did. I did. And so I um, developed a mindfulness practice just to stay calm and navigate those storms and get my life back on track. And um, that practice became the foundation of uh, my current practice, my legal practice, and the book, um, which is out now, and um, many women are finding to be tremendously helpful. Right, right. So let's take a quick look at the divorce rate, because I I took a quick look on the uh, CDC site uh, uh, here in America, and it seems to have dropped a little since 2000. I mean, not that much. It's it's still up there in the 800s, 800,000s a year. I think you've got the number... 876,000 divorces a year in United States. Is, is that trend, um, is it trending down or is it trending up? Is it, where It's is an it? interesting question. So actually the overall divorce rate is starting to trend down, partly because a lot of millennials are not getting married. But what we're finding is that as the American population is aging, what we call gray divorces are rising. And it's anticipated that by the year 2030, um, it's estimated that there will be 800,000 divorces annually. Mm. That's a lot. Um, But also, I mean, we live a lot longer than we used to. You talk in the book about, you know, how um, marriage first came about. And of course, when we first started marrying for love, we lived till we were like 30 or 40, 50 if we're lucky. (laughs) <laughs> and now the average age is around 80-something. That's right. And so that's really, we're seeing a real um, difference in the statistics that reflect that because, and, and just in terms of the folks that are walking through my door, a lot of them are in their 50s. I think that many people are uh, discovering that, you know, their life is just getting started really at that point where maybe their children have uh, been launched, and but they they're healthy and well and they expect to live another 30, 40 years or who knows how long with the advances in technology and medicine. And so I find a lot of people, uh, you know, if they're in an unhappy marriage, instead of just sticking it out, they're deciding that they don't have to stay married and miserable. And that's actually, I guess, the predominant message of the work that I'm doing now is, and with the book, is that Look, I'm in favor of, of trying to save your marriage. Right. I, 
I tried to save mine, and I the first question I ask everybody who walks through my door is whether they've, you know, tried everything with respect to counseling and so forth. However, you don't have to stay married and miserable. It's just not necessary. And so that's why in the book I provide the tools so that you can create a new and possibly even a better life. Uh, divorce can be an opportunity for a new beginning. Right. And, right. and there's a new study that just came out this year um, that debunks uh, the mythology that married people are happier and healthier. For years we were told that. And the newly released study actually reveals exactly the opposite. Single women eat healthier, exercise more, and drink less than married women. Their waists are smaller, and they're actually having more sex than their married counterparts. Can't be bad. So, yeah, it's quite <laughs> interesting. So you don't have to stay married and miserable, and, and Divorce hackers the roadmap right, um, right. to do that. Right, absolutely. And it is packed full of really great information. And I want to begin Um, let's say we get to the point where we say, okay, yes, I need to file for divorce. You say there are three essential truths that we need to uh, make sure we understand before we proceed with anything. And the first is that you can't really depend on your husband to look after you anymore or out for you, not to have your best interests at heart. The second, that you can't blindly depend on divorce professionals to have your best interests. And the third is basically to ignore advice from you know, everybody who wants to pile advice on you. So um, important to understand that before we even start filing, right? It is. Um, it's remarkable how many women come through the doors of my office and they will continue to tell me, well, I'm doing this, that, or the other because my husband's telling me to do this, that, or the other. But as I explain in the book, in my experience, uh, personally and also with the women that I work with, you know, once you get to that point, he's got other plans, and it's really critical that you start taking steps to protect yourself. And I, I provide specific action steps uh, in the book about how to be prepared, how to be money-wise. Um, so many times I see instances where Someone will show up in my office because either they've seen on uh, their husband's cell phone or online or even on social media that he's seeing someone else. And so they want to come in and find out what their rights are. Right. And right. and then this is not an untypical situation. A couple of weeks later, I'll get a panicked phone call because she's actually learned that not only is there sexual infidelity, but there's financial infidelity. Those two things often go hand in hand. Yes. Quite common. Yes. And as a former banker (laughs) myself, I can't tell you how many people would come into my office in tears, both men and women, to be to be fair. And um, they'd say, well, you know, we were best friends last week and today I've got no money. They took all the money out of our joint account. And right. so it's really critical. And you discuss that in the book and, and provide steps and tools uh, with insider tips and um, some great information in here, really. We have to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, I want to dive a little deeper into um, this with my guest, Anne Grant. The book is called The Divorce Hackers to Unt- uh, Excuse Me, The Divorce Hackers Guide to Untying the Knot. We'll be right back. We're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. 
Total Woman Health Studio in Tacoma celebrates 42 years in the fitness business. We specialize in personal training success for women of all fitness levels. We know the number one key to your workout success is consistency, and the solution to maintaining consistency is a Total Woman customized program. Imagine how you want to look and feel. Then come see how we're different. Call Total Woman, 253-565-7546. Mention you heard this on Conversations Live and receive one free month of membership. Call right now, 253-565-7546. There's a lot at stake this November. 36 governorships. 35 Senate seats. And all 435 House seats are up for election. If only 50% of voters show up, it would be the highest midterm turnout in a century. Learn more and get involved at IamAVoter.com. And don't forget to vote Tuesday, November 6th. Brought to you by I Am A Voter and the Ad Council. Radio is very competitive. Shows soar in popularity and then flame out. Sometimes, however, a real connection is made with an audience, and success blooms year after year. For over a decade, Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair has built a loyal following thanks to inspiring and stimulating conversation. Longevity, loyalty, exclusivity. Smart advertisers seek it out. With Vicki's valuable audience, the search is over. Discover the affordable, effective ways to advertise your business. Log on to Conversations live.net that's conversationslive.net today conversations live with vicky st Clair. listeners trust the show and advertisers love the audience learn more at conversationslive.net real people real life real radio alternative talk 1150 and welcome back everyone welcome back i'm talking in this segment with Anne grant uh, she's an attorney. She has her own practice helping empower women and protect them through that uh, horrible process of divorce as they transition to a new life. And um, this is a really positive book because it really focuses on every single step you need to take um, in a very approachable manner. And um, and it is designed for women, but I, I think men too would get a hand from it too if the, <laughs> the shoe's on the other foot. Um so, Anne, I want to talk about, um, we just talked about, you know, how couples sometimes, one of them has cleared out the bank account, leaving the other with nothing. And it, it's, I mean, it happens, I can tell you as a banker, former banker, it happened all, all the time with people that I thought were happily married. And then the next week they come in and it's like one is in tears because they've got no money. Um, and I know you want to emphasize this to people listening today that women need to protect themselves in this area. Absolutely. I, I see this happen more often than I'd like to admit. I, I represented a gal whose husband was the assistant head coach of a professional sports team here in L.A., and um, he was at an away game, but he came back early, stole the teenage son's Jeep, filled it with his belongings, and cleaned out their joint account, left her $238, and sent her a text saying he did it so she couldn't hire a lawyer. So she ended up in my office, just as you can imagine, in a panic. And, of course, we were able to go to court and get things resolved, but not without her experiencing a lot of distress. So here are my tips, which I'll go through quickly, and they're explained in more detail in the book about how you should, steps you should take to protect yourself. 
and, and all women should do this, whether they're headed for divorce or not, just for their own peace of mind. Right. I agree with that. Yeah, right. So they ought to open a bank account in their own name, um, and they should set aside money for living expenses and in case they need to hire an attorney. Um, because as we discussed, and as you know from your prior life as a banker, um, these bank accounts can get cleaned out quickly, and it's quite disruptive. Um, and then the other thing that they need to do is open two credit cards in their own a- name. Um, and they need to be the primary card holder on at least a couple of cards. Because you can have a, a wallet full of credit cards, but if your husband is the primary card holder and mm-hmm. you're the secondary, he can cancel those cards without your permission. And then they should gather and copy documentation for all assets, bank accounts, investment and retirement plans, even if they're in the spouse's name. A lot of women will come in and refer to their husband's pension or his 401k, but if it was earned during the course of the marriage uh, and you live in a community property state, half of that is yours. And if you live in an equitable property state, you're entitled to your fair share of the 401k or a pension. Right, right. I know the 2019 tax law is going to change, um, so that may impact people a little, right? Or a lot, actually, uh, depending on how much money is involved. Yeah, so the alimony deduction is going to be eliminated effective in 2019. And so what that means is that if you're the recipient of spousal support, um, if you don't get your judgment entered this year, then you will not be paying tax on it. Um, And likewise, your spouse won't be able to deduct it. So we're seeing a lot of people who are rushing to try to get their judgment signed and entered this year to take advantage of the current tax law. Right. You share some secrets in here that you say legal professionals don't want us to know. Would you share your top one with us on that? Well, so I came to this area of of family law from the outside. I started out as a corporate litigator, and I was absolutely astounded at some of the shenanigans that divorce lawyers engage in in order to pad their bill. Because it's no secret lawyers bill by the hour. Mm -hmm. So I've seen instances where they'll stir the pot to increase the acrimony, uh, which causes the case to become more active and more litigious, so they can increase their fees. It's not unusual, and I think it's unethical. Right. And that's one of the primary reasons that I wrote the book, uh, because I feel that if women aren't knowledgeable, and that goes for men too, um, but women tend to be seem to be less knowledgeable about finances, unfortunately. Um, they're really a sitting duck. They can be taken advantage of in this situation. And so my goal is for them to... Uh, come through a divorce with their sanity intact and their money in the bank. Right. And that is why I'm on this mission and why I wrote the book. Right, right. And um, I, I know that you, um, you said that you got through things basically in the end by letting go and finding forgiveness um, to, to help you take back charge of your life, you start your own business. What's the one thing you wish you'd known when you first heard the word divorce from your former husband? What's the one thing you know now that you wish you'd known then? 
Don't let the children become pawns in your divorce. I see this happen much too often, and quite frankly, um, you know, my kids were in that position briefly and mm. for much too long, however brief. And I learned that nothing good comes from that, and that's why I finally let go of, of the the process. And when I did, our lives opened up in every conceivable way. The kids ailments disappeared and my business took off and I got my life back when I decided to stop fighting and to just move on. Right. So the key is to know when to fight and when not to. And those are, I would say, the most important tips and advice uh, that I can give. And, and that's also included in the book. Yeah, absolutely. And having gone through one myself, which was actually very painless for me because it was very simple, but, um, I, I still think you need to trust your own instinct and listen to your intuition and do things at your own pace uh, within reason. Absolutely. Yeah. It's critical not to be pressured uh, or, or pushed into um, things that you're uninformed about uh, or uncomfortable with. And again, the, the book, is its purpose is to give guidance and information so that um, you can be more informed and and really um, making the important decisions in your case and not relying upon someone else to do that. Absolutely. Well, it is a great book. It, I've seen a lot of books come over my desk, and most of them don't make it onto the show. So I, I think this is just full of really great information and um, worth having if you find yourself, unfortunately, in that situation. It's called The Divorce Hacker's Guide to Untying the Knot, What Every Woman Needs to Know About Finances, Child Custody, Lawyers, and Planning Ahead. And my guest, Anne Grant, you can find out more about her and her work at divorcehacker.com. She's also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Anne Grant, thanks so much for being with us and sharing your expertise. Thanks for having me on your show. My pleasure. And we will be right back. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to Mary Moss and her Life Vantage Supplements, we cover the world of animals. This week, November 4th, it's Shelter Rescue Sanctuary and anything that helps our Animal Friends Sunday. We'll check in with Missy's Rescue in Lake City. We'll follow up with Seattle Dogs Homeless Program. We'll chat with Will Breckenridge about the Living Wisdom School and upcoming Anand events, plus a new one on Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. Next week on Conversations Live with Vicki Sinclair, we'll hear from Marie Liu, a Chinese immigrant who learned English by writing stories. She's now an award-winning best-selling author. We'll also hear from New York Times best-selling author Lisa Unger about walking the tightrope between writing literary novels and commercial genres. And award-winning storyteller Lou Burney on why his latest thriller is described as a work of feminism. Join us Mondays at noon Pacific time and catch up on podcasts at conversationslive.net. Parkinson's disease affects as many as one million people in the United States. At the Parkinson's Disease Foundation, it's our mission to beat this disease. To learn about the Parkinson's Disease Foundation, or if you want to help support our work, visit our website, pdf.org, or call us at 800-457-6676. In the Northwest, contact the Northwest Parkinson's Foundation at nwpf.org. 
I'm voting in the midterm elections because my constitutional right. Because my ancestors died. And to make it better for my children. The women before me fought. So we can remain free. Helping your community out. Midterm elections. I know every vote makes a difference. My opinion matters. I vote. I vote. I vote in the midterm election. Register now on IamAVoter.com. And don't forget to vote Tuesday, November 6th. Brought to you by I Am A Voter and the Ad Council. Radio is very competitive. Shows soar in popularity and then flame out. Sometimes, however, a real connection is made with an audience, and success blooms year after year. For over a decade, Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair has built a loyal following thanks to inspiring and stimulating conversation. Longevity, loyalty, exclusivity. Smart advertisers seek it out. With Vicki's valuable audience, the search is over. Discover the affordable, effective ways to advertise your business. Log on to Conversations live.net that's conversationslive.net today conversations live with vicki st Clair. inspiring innovative and a great place to advertise learn more at conversationslive.net self-help healing spirituality and more on alternative talk 1150 and welcome back everyone welcome back my next guest is madeline bernstein she's the president of the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, Los Angeles. She's a frequent speaker and commentator on issues relating to all animal welfare, ethics, and law enforcement. She advocates for humane treatment and respect for animals. And we're going to talk today about her new book. I think this is a really important expose, and I'm so glad she is here with us today. And I want to stress, this is not about shock value here. This is about solutions. It's about making change that needs to be made uh, so the book is called Designer Dogs Inside the Criminal Underworld of Crossbreeding. And my guest, Madeline Bernstein. Welcome, Madeline. Thank you so much for inviting me. So before we get into the book, I, I have a question for you on how you got from being a deputy inspector general uh, and advocate for the New York City Department of Ports and Terminals and a former assistant district attorney for the Bronx District <laughs> Attorney's Office to becoming president of the Society of Protection of Cruelty to Animals in Los Angeles. Well, aside from, you know, my life being a pinball machine, um, <laughs> but the, the, the reality is I actually haven't changed jobs. Um, the first time I got into animal welfare in terms of the, you know, prosecutions against those who commit animal cruelty, I realized I actually never changed jobs at all. And it's just a refocus of the victim. And so, you know, due to a lot of sort of serendipitous things that happened in my life, I ended up in this place, and um, and it turned out to be a good thing because here at SPCALA, and because I have such a dark, you know, dark side in terms of law enforcement and crime, um, SPCALA uh, is very, we're, we're very into, okay, now we all agree that maybe it's a bad thing to gratuitously harm animals, but, you know, what are we going to do about it and how do we prevent it and why is it important? And that's when my former background comes in. So we had the first domestic violence program that addressed the issue of removing that barrier of having a pet for an abuse victim to leave. We had the first program in the country that dealt with at-risk um, kids and trying to restore empathy into their lives at a point when they were early, you know, young enough to receive it to try to prevent cruelty. And we are still the only organization in the country and the first to actually have a court diversionary program for youth that are
that are convicted of animal cruelty or other, you know, bullying type right. crimes, you know, crimes where they assert inappropriate power over the vulnerable and enjoy it. So, again, I feel like I haven't moved at all, but the refocus is very important because by the time the DA's office gets the criminals, they've already started by practicing on animals. So here we're really starting at the root, which is usually animal cruelty, among other things. Right. So I want to um, talk about why you wrote the book. Well, first of all, I, let listeners know, I, I was watching Dr. Phil in my coffee break uh, a couple of weeks back, and, and I saw you on there at the end of his show uh, talking about this book, uh, Expose on, on Designer Dogs. And I watched the segment, and I immediately jumped on the Internet and got in <laughs> touch with your organization to, to book you to come talk with us, and I'm so glad to have you here. Um, but tell us why you wanted to write this book, why you felt this was a necessary thing to do. Um, well, this was a great opportunity. And also, uh, for your listeners, Dr. Phil actually wrote the forward to the book as well, which shocked me, you know, more than more than anything. <laughs> just sort of the <laughs> support that, you know, this book generated was really um, amazing. Um, the reason is because at, at SPCA LA, and by the way, all SPCAs are separate. There's no umbrella SPCA. Um, we're dealing in the business of mutts, you know, of mixed breeds. We do have some pedigrees in the shelter. We do have some designer dogs in the shelter. But primarily we're in this business of, you know, trying to persuade people to adopt what I consider to be the original designer dog, the one-of-a-kind. You know, no one will ever have, you know, a similar combination uh, when you adopt a dog at the shelter. And when I started realizing this epidemic that really started in the 80s but kind of exploded with Instagram, um, where everybody was intentionally crossing breeds to make Instagram-worthy dogs um, and silly dogs, some for good reasons, some for just look or shock effect, I basically wanted to set my hair on fire and originally wrote a blog about it uh, years ago and told the story if I was just so aggravated one day that we named all our dogs in the shelters by bizarre breed names. So we would call a Chihuahua or Shepardor, Toodle, you know. <laughs> right. And I was like, do you want to see a designer dog? We've got them. <laughs> and then eventually the opportunity, you know, uh, was presented to me to actually go in deep on this. And I, and I really think that um, those who are not the opportunists um, out there, but those who really love pets and want to get pets really, or know someone who is, would really benefit from just sort of seeing the historical, you know, evolution of how this happened and then realizing what we're contributing to when we're contributing to the demand for these designer dogs. I mean, essentially, it's an international trafficking operation now. Right. It, it's it's really quite horrifying. And I thought I was uh, fairly well-versed on this topic, but um, it's far wider reaching than I realized in reading your book. In fact, you write in the book, this was really interesting, I thought, that it actually started uh, really just after the Second World War with farmers um starting this this excessive breeding because of, um, you know, the flush of income that we had. Right, right. Yeah. Well, because that's, that's what happened. They needed a, you know, the industrial, you know, the industrial world was coming as industrialization of stuff. There were some droughts, and basically they figured out that if instead of agriculture crops, if they could manufacture another crop, um, they could hedge against some of those things. And... Um, 
people had more disposable income and there was television. Um, and so they figured out that they could sell puppies with, you know, very little, uh, well, no training, no experience, and people would buy them. In fact, um, there was an old cover of some ladies' magazine that said how to earn extra grocery money, sell, pup, you know, pure, you know, breed puppies. Uh, and it and it really, you know, it really started there, which was the beginning of the puppy farms. And in fact, in the UK, they're still called puppy farms. Mm-hmm. You know, and here we call them puppy mills to get those popular dogs into people's homes, the dogs that were on TV. And they used the Sears catalog, you know, also as a way to advertise the dogs, which is so interesting because now instead of Sears, we have the internet, you know, right, right, and 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 and, and so it's just we've just really um, made it worse. Yeah, it's... and the idea of custom making a dog. Um, my theory is the original designer dog was actually the pit bull, um, because when bear baiting was stopped in the UK, and bull mastiffs, you know, were good fighting dogs, um, but too big, they mixed that dog with the terrier. Um, and eventually, you know, we got our American pit bull, oh, uh, which can be used for fighting, but has some is smaller, so it's easier for the humans to handle the dog, and has you know some qualities, you know, of both a loyal fighting dog and someone who basically likes people, which makes them safer for their handlers. Right. Um, so it's you know it's not a new. I don't think it's this new thought. Like if I could play God and try to make the ideal dog, what would that dog look? look like. Right, right. So let's talk about some of the key issues around here. We'll look at each one individually, although they all kind of cross-relate. But trafficking is a huge one. And when we're talking about trafficking, we're not just talking about, you know, shipping across America. We're we're talking about shipping from all over the world. A lot of the eastern, uh, former eastern bloc countries uh, make a lot of money uh, breeding these dogs in puppy mills and shipping them to uh, other countries. We're talking about mm-hmm. um, dogs that are trafficked for sales. We're talking about dogs that are trafficked to smuggle drugs. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, it just is quite horrifying. So talk to us about your really big concerns around trafficking. Um, well, you know, first, people sometimes don't realize, people who are breeding with cruelty and who are committing these crimes, smuggling um, dogs and we see that over the Mexican border here in Southern California that are um, you know trafficking dogs uh, across the country with forged vet certificates veterinarian certificates and things like that um, they're looking you know to be opportunistic they're not looking to be humane or to invest um, a lot of funds into the care and treatment of the breeding dogs and the babies and so you just have this world of con artists. You even have people who claim to be breeding here in the United States that are really importing from Ukraine mm-hmm. or some other place. And so you have this whole, there was a recent article, it's not in the book, but there was a recent article how with Brexit, um, sort of on the horizon, uh, there's a movement in the UK to try to restructure the border rules while they have an opportunity to try to stop this kind of trafficking from dogs coming in from Ireland, from the Ukraine, right. from other places. And they're, they're saying it's like a 28 million pound, which, you know, is like twice that on American dollars right. uh, business. So it's not a small amount of money that people make breeding these dogs. So there's every incentive to get them 
where they need to go any way possible and to, you know, ultimately be dishonest with the consumers. And, of course, they're not paying taxes. And, right. I mean, it's really just a, a real mess. I watched a, a show on Netflix. It was a, one of those reality kind of shows where they follow workers around, and it was Heathrow Airport, and it was mm-hmm. the, in the Ark, the Animal Reception Center, which I didn't even know existed till I watched this show. Right. It's quite fascinating. Uh, and people import into Britain all kinds of animals. I mean, from alligators and giraffes to spiders and crickets, thousands and thousands right. of crickets. And, of course, dogs. And I can't tell you how many people had bought dogs from various countries, from Spain, Italy, from uh, Ukraine, from all over. And then the dog comes in, and like you say in your book, they've got uh, fake paperwork. They've got no vet certificates. They've been taken away from their parents way, way, way too young. They're far too young. And and, um, I was quite impressed with the receivers at Heathrow who went through this because they're Concern did seem to be with the animal and making sure the animal was taken care of. But if vets' bills were due and vaccinations were due and paperwork was due, many people had already paid thousands for this dog to be imported, and they, right. just, they just abandoned the animal, which was really sad. Well, that's right. I mean, when they know that law enforcement is sniffing around very often, whoever's supposed to receive the, the animal to deliver you know, him or her to a buyer disappears, very often... There's a picture of a very healthy, adorable, you know, designer dog on the website, but the dog that's actually coming, who's been poorly bred, starved, um, taken away from the mother too young, then put in a crate for 30 hours, um, dehydrated, sick. You know, I mean, that that's what the customer gets after paying thousands of dollars. Right. And, um, you know, that's a, your basic bait and switch. It's false advertising. I mean, there are so many laws broken in trafficking these designer dogs that we just simply have to stop wanting them. Right. Uh, because it's just not, it's not fair to the dogs. It's not fair to the consumers. And we've got the power to stop it by just reducing the demand. Right. Um, the first dog that I really remember coming out as a designer dog was the Labradoodle. And mm-hmm. I heard you say on Dr. Phil that the guy who created that breed, that uh, designer if you dog, if you will, said that if he knew how this would end up, he never would have done it. Right. That's right. He's, he's miserable about it and feels guilty about it. And uh, somebody um, compared it, you know, some comment on, on one of my pages basically said, you know, he's acting like the guys who invented the nuclear bomb, you know, right? that that, that it was invented for a a purpose. And then, of course, it also kills people. Um, And so he's quite miserable because when he invented the Labradoodle in the 80s in Australia, he was trying to solve a problem. He was a breeder and he had any bred guide dogs. And so he had a couple that needed a guide dog that would um, help the person with the sight problem, but also the spouse was allergic. <laughs> so he, you know, figured that what happens if he actually tried to work with the allergy problem? And so he said, what would happen if I, you know, put a Labrador with a poodle? Would I get a dog that irritated the allergy less? Now, let me say that there is no such thing as a hypoallergenic dog. Right. There are dogs that will affect an allergy sufferer differently, right? Yeah. So what he did is he crossed the Labrador with the poodle, 
got one litter, and then he sent hair and saliva samples to the couple. And out of several, only one or two, you know, bothered the allergy sufferer, but not as much. So we tried again. We sent another bunch of hair and saliva samples and then picked the dog that aggravated the allergy sufferer the least. Now, I can tell you that there aren't many people listening to this show who, when they ordered a Labradoodle, thinking that the dog would be more hypoallergenic, actually got hair and saliva samples. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure that most listeners who have Labradoodles didn't. And and some may have also gotten their dogs from ethical and reputable breeders. So I'm not here to pass judgment on anybody. It's just that if you think you're getting a hypoallergenic dog, you might at least want to know how we know that before you pay thousands of dollars. So then he goes on to say that he couldn't get the regular foster people who would normally um, raise the guide dog while the guide dog was in training because they would only raise purebreds, which, again, it's the 80s in Australia. um, And so he said, well, okay. And as a marketing ploy, he said, well, I've created a new breed of dog. It's called a Labradoodle. And then voila, uh, he was able to. Uh, to get a foster. And so everybody else had a bright idea. Well, what if we mix a poodle with this? What if we mix with that? You know, and it just started this um, chain of events. You know, one celebrity got a Labradoodle, then another. And and then, of course, it just um, expanded exponentially to other breeds and other stuff until we're where we are now, which is basically um, it's a really, you know, big problem. Yeah. Well, we need to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to go into this a little further and talk about, uh, we're going to end the show definitely with some solutions and and a call to action here. So uh, please stay with us. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. My guest is Madeline Bernstein and her book, Designer Dogs. It's an expose inside the criminal underworld of crossbreeding. Next week on Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair, we'll hear from Marie Liu, a Chinese immigrant who learned English by writing stories. She's now an award-winning best-selling author. We'll also hear from New York Times best-selling author Lisa Unger about walking the tightrope between writing literary novels and commercial genres. And award-winning storyteller Lou Burney on why his latest thriller is described as a work of feminism. Join us Mondays at noon Pacific time and catch up on podcasts at conversationslive.net. Do something different with your spare time. Give baby animals at Paws a fresh start. With the assistance of caring volunteers, Paws helps hundreds of orphaned and sick kittens and puppies each year. Join us and save lives. Become a Paws foster care volunteer. For more information, visit paws.org or 425-787-2500. Paws.org or 425-787-2500. 787-2500. Are you ready for something real, raw, upfront, and honest? Then tune in each Wednesday at 2 p.m. right here for Love from the Hip. I am spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and the host, Sakura Sutter. This show is unlike anything you have ever heard and was created to help others to help themselves. Hear me follow up with guests I have hypnotized and see how it has improved their lives. I will also spotlight amazing people from around the world. Their skin tips, live readings, and answers to life's burning questions. Join us each Wednesday at 2 p.m. 
I'm voting in the midterm elections because my constitutional right. Because my ancestors died. And to make it better for my children. The women before me fought. So we can remain free. Helping your community out. Midterm elections. I know every vote makes a difference. My opinion matters. I vote. I vote. I vote in the midterm elections. Register now on IamAVoter.com. And don't forget to vote Tuesday, November 6th. Brought to you by I Am A Voter and the Ad Council. Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Innovative business leaders know to advertise here. Learn how affordable at conversationslive.net. Get your daily dose of variety. Alternative Talk, 1150. And welcome back, everyone. You are listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. And my guest is the president of the uh, SPCA in L.A., She's Madeline Bernstein, and her new book is called Designer Dogs. Madeline, I wanted to look at some of the issues that this inbreeding, or let's look first of all at some of the issues that are caused by the designer dogs, because there's a slightly different issue going on there, although they kind of overlap. But when people are looking for these, you know, cute little teacup things, dogs, I, not even like dogs, really, they they're so tiny, some of them. Uh, they put them into their purse and carry them around with them as though it's cute. I mean, um, this is it's not healthy for the animal. They often have horrible health issues. Tell us your thoughts on that more. Well, the teacup is, is another marketing issue, like the you know the labradoodle. The, the teacup isn't recognized as any breed at all, and in fact. One of the best ways to spot an ethical, more responsible breeder is you won't find teacups um, there because they're not a breed. So what they really are is, you know, they the, the idea is to breed down to the smallest version of the dog possible. They're not interested in health. They're just interested in the smallest dog possible. So very often um, they'll start with runts of a litter. So they'll start with a dog that they want, like a Pomeranian or... Um, you know, a chihuahua or something, and they'll start to overbreed those dogs. And then as they get the runt of the litter and then another one, they start breeding the runts. Now, you know medically the runts usually have bigger problems than the other dogs in the breed, but now they're taking two runts and putting them together, which, of course, exacerbates the problem even further and brings forward more of the recessive genes. And they continue to do that until they get a dog that's so small, um, that looks adorable, literally inside a teacup, um, and will charge a fortune for them. But they're usually in terrible health. They're very fragile, um, and uh, they very often don't survive very long. And some, again, the the criminal piece of it, aside from the trafficking, because a lot of the teacups actually come from South Korea, so aside from the trafficking issues and the inhumanity and the cruelty of what they're actually doing to the dogs, is some people will sell you the runt of a litter that's itsy-bitsy, and it turns out to be a runt of a big dog, you know? So you spent thousands of dollars for a teacup, and you've got a big dog in your right, house. Right. Um, so there's, there's also, you know, the consumer ripoff and... Um, you know, they're, and also people get tired of them quickly, too, because their medical bills are high. They pee inside the purse. 
Um, they fracture <laughs> their bones constantly. I mean, I don't mean to laugh there, but it's no kind sense. of that's justice there, you know. <laughs> right, right. You know, the dog weighs, you know, six ounces and they pee two pounds. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. So I know um, I, I read this. I can't remember if it's in the book or on your website, but um, there was a report from CBS News that in 20 years, the French Bulldog has risen from 76th place in popularity to number four in popularity. And yet I saw a long time ago a documentary about these dogs who've been so closely inbred to get the big little, you know, the big chest and then the little hindquarters their mm-hmm. poor little hindquarters can't even hold them up while they try and mate naturally. Right. French bulldogs have to be artificially inseminated to mate. And that's right. true of many dogs now. So there right. are all A lot of kinds those. of mm-hmm. dangers. Uh, bulldogs, boxers, they have respiratory problems because people want right. their noses really flat. Right. Um, the pugs are a big... Yeah. They also can't breed on their own. So, So this is... You know, first of all, they, they have to be artificially inseminated, and second, they can only deliver by C-section. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is, you know, to me, these are the dogs just saying we're done. You know what I mean? Right. It's almost like watching Darwin natural selection in action. The dogs themselves are just not willing, you know, to breed anymore uh, because they've been so overbred and shrunk, or the ones you know, that have big eyes um, and those big bulging eyes are so funny. Mm-hmm. They look hilarious on Instagram. But that's a problem. Um, the eyes fall out. Oh. Um, and, of course, the, the dog immediately gets uh, abandoned or turned over to a shelter and sometimes will be blind uh, if there is some surgery that, you know, that exists, but it doesn't always work. So what is the point, you know? I mean, why are we... Why maybe Dr. Phil can answer that question? Why are we doing this right. um, to to the dogs and to ourselves? And I think if people knew that, because I definitely believe that people, you know, will do the right thing. I think if they knew this side of it, they wouldn't they just, uh, want to do that. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think it's lack of knowledge, lack of awareness of how how this thing came to be a cute little bundle in my hand with all these these issues we don't know um one of the things that is likely to happen as you said is that these breeds will eventually die out and i mean breeds we've had for many years like the pekingese for example as well um Mm -hmm. they'll just they'll just become extinct because we're right doing this uh, artificial insemination i also read uh, a while back that golden retrievers you know people always wanted golden retrievers if they had children because they had this right. fabulous reputation for being so uh, docile. That's not true anymore, and that's because of interbreeding. That's right. I mean, first of all, any dog, you know, it's, it's the temperament of the dog and the training and the nurturing of the dog. So a lot of dogs can be wonderful with children. But again, um, you know, the, the uh, genetic recessive genes coming forth from irresponsible uh, overbreeding and inbreeding, and again, I am not, you know, there are responsible ethical breeders out there, um, but basically the personalities, I mean, it's not just physical characteristics that become a problem with overbreeding. It's also behavioral characteristics. Right. OCD, dogs can get OCD right. and, and other stuff. And so if you look, you know, if you look at television, you know, the, the, the Hollies were set back after, 
you know, after Lassie, uh, Dalmatians um, are, you know, mostly very often deaf and have bladder problems and are difficult and, you know, high maintenance because everyone wanted a Dalmatian after 101 Dalmatians, then 102 Dalmatians. Um, we have seen this with Chihuahuas, Beverly Hills Chihuahuas, mm-hmm. um, Legally Blonde, and those movies everybody wants what they see on TV. And now Game of Thrones um, is a very popular show. And and here in Southern California, we're overrun with huskies right? because right. everyone wants a dire wolf. And Peter Dinklage, who's one of the stars of the show, literally came out and said, stop it, just watch the show, right. you know? Right. Because they're overbreeding. And so, you know, so somebody gets an idea, a non-responsible, reputable breeder will say, wow, everybody wants this. Let me go buy two, keep breeding them and breeding them and selling them and selling them and then breed, the, and, you know, the siblings and breeding them and breeding them and selling them and selling them. Right. And it's a quick buck. They're selling them from the back of pickup trucks at swap meets. You know, you're basically dealing with someone with a burner phone who's only taking cash who you will never see again when your dog doesn't survive right. 48 hours. And well, we're seeing it in real time with, you know, with Huskies right now. Yeah, it's so sad. Madeline, we're right at the end of our show, and I want to make sure that people know how they can find out more information. So the book is called Designer Dogs Inside the Criminal Underworld of Crossbreeding. Um, a really great book, and I want to stress there are no photos in here, and it's not there's no gory stories in here it's about information and information if we use it is power um i know you can find out more about um madeline and her work at uh, spcala.com and uh, she also has a an award-winning uh, blog which is called the bitch craves attention <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you want to leave listeners with today madeline I, I so appreciate you being in here. I'm such a dog lover, and I think you're doing amazing work to raise awareness. What do you want to leave our listeners with? Well, basically, look, we we love we we love our pets. We love our people who love our pets. Um, there are solutions in the book, and we can win this uh, once we know what we're doing and we reduce the demand. We can do this, and I'm absolutely positive that that's so. Thank you so much. Know where we're buying from. Know who we're buying from. Be very careful. All right. right, I have to scoot out of here before I get kicked out. (laughs) You can find me at 800-495-7617 and uh, conversationslive.net. We'll see you next week. Until then, live well, live strong. Radio is very competitive. Shows soar in popularity and then flame out. Sometimes, however, a real connection is made with an audience, and success blooms year after year. For over a decade, Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair has built a loyal following thanks to inspiring and stimulating conversation. Longevity, loyalty, exclusivity. Smart advertisers seek it out. With Vicki's valuable audience, the search is over. Discover the affordable, effective ways to advertise your business. Log on to Conversations Live. Live.net. That's conversationslive.net today.